Thank you for listening to the Christ the King Church podcast. We exist to help people know, love, and obey Jesus as Lord over all of life. For more information about our church, please visit us at ctksensi.com. Good morning, church. It is good to see all of you today, and my name is Michael. If I haven't met you yet, um, hope to meet you afterwards. I'll be in the cafe, so feel free to say hello to me as you walk through. And have a, great to have a chance to, to greet you. And you're here at a great time because we are starting uh, our series in First Peter. We just started it last week, and we're continuing through it today. And the, the book is, the, one of the large themes of the book is hope in the midst of suffering, and we're going to kind of start that theme today because this is uh, suffering and trials is a, is a major drumbeat throughout the book of First Peter. And so I'm going to do my best today to lead by example and cause suffering during the sermon. Um, you're going to hurt today, and I want to see to it that everybody leaves here in pain. No, I'm kidding. I'm not going to do that. All joking inside, as Eric would say, all joking aside, um, Peter, he does highlight how Christians can rejoice in their suffering because suffering helps us to grow. It helps us to grow in our faith, to strengthen us in the Lord. And suffering does have a way of sharpening our focus. It helps us to, to focus on the things that really matter because it, it helps us to, to, to value the things that are most important, that are eternal whenever we're in pain. And it helps us to focus on the God who controls all things and the God who is sovereign over and in our suffering. And personally, the times in my life when I've grown the most and I've felt the most connected to the Lord, the most prayerful, the more, uh, clinging to Scripture and searching God's Word the most, these, these times in my life when I feel like I was most in tune with God and the Spirit was in times when I was in suffering the most, the times of intense pain. Going through those trials, it, it sharpened me, and it helped to clarify what's really important. It helped to, to solidify in my heart what I really value. So, I mean, we all have experience of suffering at different times in different ways. Last Sunday, if you're like me, a lot of us suffered watching the Bengals play. Uh, Ryan, I know you suffered. He went to see the Steelers. but So we all, we, we all suffer, right? <laughs> We're all, but this is, I mean, we can make a joke about it, but I mean, this is, this is, a, this is a real deal here. Right, because we, we do go through intense times of, of pain in our lives, and we need to be prepared for it. So that's what we're going to talk about today. I've got five truths about suffering, and we'll just walk through three verses, uh, four verses actually, in uh, the book of First Peter. So let's dig in. First Peter chapter one, and we're going to start at verse six. We'll go through six through nine. I'll read them all here, and then we'll go through one at a time. So let's listen to God's word. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. 
This is God's word. First point, trials are temporary. Trials are temporary. So let's look at verse 6 here. And this little phrase, now for a little while. He's, he's pointing to the temporal nature of trials in this life. Most trials will end after a short period of time. But even if you endure a trial that lasts longer than that, no trial lasts forever. No trial is going to last forever. So this for a little while, that little phrase, it's encouraging because it reminds us that God's plan is to ultimately bring for his people to bring all suffering to an end. All suffering for every Christian will one day come to an end. And we've got to cling to that promise and remember that. So let me read to you. This is a text from Revelation 21, verse 4. It says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So he's speaking from, this is Revelation, so he's speaking from the perspective of eternity, and this is announced in heaven. This is like, this is what is the perspective of heaven, and he's saying no matter how bad it gets, and no matter how much it hurts right now, it helps always to remember that this too shall pass. This is not what you feel now. If you're going through a trial or, or something painful, some suffering right now, you need to remember that whatever you're feeling or experiencing will not last forever. It will pass. A few years ago, there was a, there was a, a time of just intense trial. I mean, I was very, very anxious, very afraid, and it would keep me up at night. And it was just this this, this constant nagging presence just eating away in the back of my mind. And it was, it was really frustrating and difficult to deal with. And so I, I would just remember these promises of Scripture and, and be comforted telling myself, this will pass. This, I will feel different a month from now. I'll feel, I'll feel different six months from now. But this trial, the nature of this trial, is this not forever. And so in the moment, I needed to reach beyond the present moment and cling to a hope that this trial is, is temporary. It's not forever. Now, there, there may be some pain, some trial that you go through where the pain is chronic to where it doesn't, you, you don't see an end in sight to it because it's, it's a physical pain or it's some loss that, that it's a chronic pain. So some trials will stay with us the rest of our earthly lives but even in those cases, the hope that we're clinging to has got to be bigger than the size of your present trial. You have to believe, in, you have to believe God for something bigger than what you're feeling right now, what you're experiencing. And what we're promised in Scripture is that the salvation, the, the reward, the eternal inheritance that we will receive when Christ returns is much larger than an entire lifetime of suffering. Let me give you an example of this. There's lots of scriptures that speak to this. Here's one of, the, one of my favorite ones. Romans 8, 18. Now just listen to what he says here. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time. So he's talking about whatever it is that you're going through right now or whatever it is that you might go through even th through the rest of your life, it is still the sufferings of this present time. For I consider that the sufferings that we go through in this life are not 
worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So he's saying that there's, you take all the pain and suffering that you could possibly encounter in this life, and if you're a believer in Christ, all of that is on one side of the scale. The most miserable experience you can imagine. And then on the other side of the scale, you put all of the glory that awaits you, the joy, the heavenly blessings, the eternal reward, all the things that awaits us in heaven, you put that on the other side of the scale. And it's not even close. The scale is totally imbalanced because the eternal rewards are not even worth comparing to all the suffering that you can experience in this life. So for as long as the suffering lasts, we have to have the patience to trust God and bear up under it to have the faith to suffer well because it's temporary. That's point number one. Point number two, trials are necessary. Trials are necessary. So going back to 1 Peter verse 6, it says, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. It's an odd phrase, right? If necessary. It's a strange phrase, and it, it indicates that trials that come about, they come about by some divine necessity. Because if God brings a trial into your life, then it is a necessary trial. Because God is sovereign over all things that happen. And so if it's a necessary trial that God brings it about, then he has some good purpose in it. He's accomplishing something in it. Now, what could that be? Well, maybe that trial is in your life because there is some sin in your life and you haven't dealt with it. And so it's God's discipline. Or maybe it's a trial that is you being within the blast radius of the effects of somebody else's sin. And so somebody else is screwed up and because of their sin, now you are affected by it. Or it could be just the effects of living in a fallen world and you can't trace it back to any particular fault of anyone. All of these things are in, in are possibilities. Now, let's, say, let's go to the first one. Let's say that there is some, some sin that, that you've committed. And sometimes there's, there's something in our life that you haven't dealt with yet. You haven't acknowledged it. You haven't confessed it, repented of it. You have not... Uh, you know, it's, it's secret. It's, it's a it's hidden thing somewhere. And so God may introduce a trial into your life to expose that issue so that you can deal with it. He's drawing your attention to it. So let me read you a text. This is from 1 Corinthians, um, verse 27 to 30. I'll just give you a quick context here. He's talking, Paul is talking here about the Lord's Supper. And he's saying that people come to the Lord's table and they're eating and drinking in the Lord's table in an unworthy manner, meaning they, there's some unresolved issue, some, some, some sin in their life they haven't dealt with, or maybe they don't even know the Lord uh, personally. But he's going to tie that to suffering that they might experience. So here we go. Paul says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, whoops will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. And now here's the kicker. This is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Now we don't... We don't know the full story of what Paul is referring to here, but 
At the very least, Paul is saying there are people within this church that the way that they were approaching the Lord's table was unworthy, something unworthy, and there was a discipline of God where some were weak and ill and some even have died because of the way they approached the Lord's table. So that would be God introducing a trial, some suffering, some, some penalty in their lives because of a sin that was in their life. Now, that's just one, that's just one possibility, but we see in Scripture that is a possibility. But Regardless, if that's the case or some other reason, every trial that you can encounter, anytime you experience some suffering or trial, it is, an op- it is an opportunity to examine yourself and to just ask the question, am I walking in integrity? Is there some hidden sin that you've been nursing and kind of keeping hidden secret that you haven't really dealt with? And nobody's called you on it. Maybe nobody else can see it. And because of that, it's, it's been allowed to grow in your life. God may discipline you, and we see this taught in other places about God's discipline, but God may discipline you as a son because he loves you to help you see that sin, to draw attention to it, so you can confess it and repent of it. Now, a lot of times, whenever we're going through a trial, the, the trial itself is inexplicable. So we don't see some sin. And let's say you've examined yourself and you don't see anything in particular in your life that would be a reason for this trial. So there's no obvious sin that you haven't confessed, but it's necessary because God has allowed it and he's sovereign over it, but you don't know the reason for it. And the fact that you don't know the reason for it, that causes additional distress and that becomes part of the trial. Not knowing why God is allowing some painful thing to happen in your life is part of the trial. Like, God, why, do you, why are you letting this happen to me? Why is this going on in my life? I don't understand it. I've been walking faithfully with you. I've been trying to re- repent of my sin and confess it, walking in integrity. Why then am I suffering in this way? Why is my child sick? Why do I have this conflict that I can't reconcile? Why did I get laid off from my job when I've been working hard and being faithful and I've been getting good performance reviews and yet still I got laid off from my job? Why is this happening? And so you're in pain, and that suffering isn't traceable to any known sin or problem, and so it's inexplicable. And depending on the severity of the pain, it can drive you crazy, because whenever we suffer, we want it to make sense. We want to understand it. And if we can't understand it, we're like, why is this happening? Suffering without meaning is miserable. And so sometimes the suffering is not due to sinning against God, but it may even be because you are obedient to God. And actually, that's what we see spoken of more often in the New Testament, is that it is suffering as a Christian that it's an injustice, and that is is the bigger part of the suffering. It's like not only is it the pain but it is the pain due to my faithfulness to God and there is a consequence in a fallen world and that leads to suffering and a trial and then the New Testament authors speak with one voice of of faithfulness while we endure suffering for being a Christian, for being faithful. And that's a theme that will develop as we go through the book of 1 Peter because he talks about it in a few places. 
But the thing to remember is that it is God who makes it necessary because even if it's an unjust suffering and even if it's not a discipline for your sin, there is something God is doing in it. God is accomplishing something in that unjust suffering that you do not deserve, you're not being disciplined, but there's something nevertheless that God is doing in it, in your life. So even if you can't identify the cause of it or the purpose of it, you can trust in the God who is sovereign over it. God has a purpose in your trial that's all his own. You may, not, you may never know the why, this side of heaven. And sometimes the best that you can do is trust God in something that is unclear and uncertain. And you say, Lord, I don't know why this is happening to me. I don't know why I've lost my job. I don't know why my child is going through this pain. I don't know why these relationships are broken. I don't know why the economy is such a mess and I can't make ends meet. But this, this is a burden that you've given me to carry. And because you've given me to carry it, given it to me to carry, then I'm going to carry it faithfully because it is what you require of me. And sometimes that's the best you can do because you can't, you're not able to find a particular reason. Here's the third point. Trials authenticate your faith. Trials authenticate your faith. Let's go to the next verse. So the context here, verse six even though for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and honor, or praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So God uses trials to reveal the genuineness of your faith. Is your faith legit? Are you a real Christian? Do you, are you regenerate? Is like the Holy Spirit within you and you are a true believer in Christ. So we have courtrooms and courtrooms are where we hold trials and the outcome of any trial that we would hold in a courtroom hopefully is greater understanding of truth. Truth is exposed and revealed through that courtroom trial. And in the same way, God will use trials in your life to bring truth out, to expose and reveal truth, because pain is a great revealer. Pain is a great way to, to, to put on display what's inside. C.S. Lewis, uh, he, he famously said that pain is God's megaphone. If you don't know what a megaphone is, because we don't use them anymore, it's like imagine like a traffic cone, like the orange, it's like a cone. But it's like you, you, you shout into like cheerleaders would use a megaphone and it makes your voice louder, it amplifies it. And that's what C.S. Lewis is saying. Pain is like a megaphone, it amplifies. So if somebody is not a true believer, then pain will expose it. But if somebody is a true believer, pain will amplify it. But either way, pain, it, it, it brings to the surface, it brings out into the open who you really are. Now, Jonathan Edwards, he wrote about this, and he said that the, the mixing of false religion with true religion has been Satan's greatest weapon against the church. He would rather dilute the church than persecute it. So what he's talking about there is, is in a, in a, let's say in a given church body, 
You have have a congregation of people, a group of people. And let's say you're, you're going to have generally, you know, some people that for a variety of reasons will participate in the life of a church. And well, from all, all that you can tell, seem to be like real believers. And if there is no, if, if you have some people that aren't believers, but you don't know they're not believers, then you have a group of people that thinks everybody here is a sheep when actually there's a number of goats among them. And then the behavior of those goats end up affecting the rest of the church. And Edward says that has been Satan's greatest weapon against the church, not persecution, but rather it is mixing uh, true and false converts within churches, within a church body, or you know, even more broadly within evangelicalism, within just Christianity as we know it, culturally speaking. Whenever you have some people that are true and some people that are false and they're mixed together, that does a lot of harm. And so it is, it is a counterfeit. And so God uses trials to expose what's genuine. A few weeks ago, um, <laughs> uh, my son Judah, he found a stash of money. And uh, it was like several hundred dollar bills, like five, six hundred dollars. And he comes home, it's like, look what I found. It's like there's several hundred dollars here. And, and I was like, look at that, looks real. And I'm like, amazing. What are we going to do? Let's go on a trip. You know? <laughs> Until I looked at it more closely, he like handed me one of the bills and I could feel it. And I was like, you know, it, it feels kind of thin for, for money. And I'm used to money having a little bit more of a you know, strong texture to it. And then I looked a lot more closely, and where it normally says United States, it says, you know, Motion Picture Association of America. <laughs> so it was like, it's like fake Hollywood money. And somehow there was just some of this money laying on the ground, several hundred dollars worth of fake money. But my examination of it, I was like able to identify, okay, this isn't real. This doesn't have value. And so it's a counterfeit. And whenever you have um, counterfeit believers within a, within a church body, it's like they look, they look legit, but they may not be. And so a test, some, some test, some examination, some, some way to tell what is true or what's not true is necessary. And what Peter's telling us here is that God uses pain. And so, now, of course, God knows the difference. God knows every heart. He knows who's, who's legit and who's not legit, but we don't. And if we don't know, then a lot of times we can be, we can be taken in or we can just, it, it's, it's unclear. And so whenever God introduces pain into people's lives, it, it makes clear to them and to everybody else around them. It's like, what's going on? And it, it, it tends to either clarify the fact that they're not a, a genuine believer, or if they are a genuine believer, it tends to amplify their, their faith because they're growing. But God uses both. Trials strengthen true Christians because God turns up the heat and the pain clarifies for them what's truly valuable. But trials also expose false Christians because God turns up the heat and pain clarifies the fact that they don't really value Christ. They value their comfort. They value um, something that will just make the pain go away. But they, they don't cling to Jesus the way we're, we're, we're taught to do in Scripture. But the X factor is pain. Suffering is what, what has this, this revealing effect. So trials authenticate. So he says here in verse 7, the tested genuineness of your faith. 
That is what's being revealed by the fire, and this fire here, that's suffering. Now, the next point, this is number four, trials refine your faith. So this is speaking to to true Christians here. God will use trials to refine and purify your faith. And he does so by helping us to recognize the infinite worth of Christ. So tested by fire, this this little phrase here in verse seven, tested by fire. He's referring to like a refiner's fire. And it's a common illustration um, in churches and youth groups and that sort of thing. But it's, a, it's the idea that you take a precious metal like gold and usually it's not, it's not like you, you know, go digging in the ground and you have this little chunk of solid gold that you just dig out of the dirt. It's like, no, there's little traces of gold that's mixed in with other elements. And so you but you put them in a fire and you heat it up to a certain temperature and a lot of the combustible elements and different materials, they start to burn away so that the actual gold, the precious metal itself is what is, is, what is, is, is actually separated from the other, the other elements. And so it, it, it is a refiner's fire that tests and it brings out the true valuable metal, the precious metal that, is in this, that went through this fire. And so what Peter is talking about here is that God uses trials to do that for you. God will use trials to burn away things in your life that will distract you from a total devotion to him. And that's a merciful thing that he does it. Whenever your life is going well, it's easy to convince ourselves that we don't really need God. It's like, I don't have any major pain right now. There's no major problems right now. Things are going along, you know, fairly fine. So there isn't anything that is helping me tune in to the fact that I have needs and that I am weak and frail. And an easy life can easily deceive us into thinking that we've got everything on lock. We're doing great. And so we think, I'm strong enough. I I don't really need God. And that's why throughout the New Testament, Jesus warns about the danger of riches because rich people, because generally have an easier life, they have a harder time accessing the fact that they are actually weak and needy because money is able to kind of cover over that need. But whenever you go through a trial, all that changes, doesn't it? Whenever you're really going through something intense and painful, you can't control the intensity of the pain. You can't control the duration of the pain. It just hurts. And when it hurts, what do real believers do? Start smoking dope? Is that what you do? Is that how you numb the pain? Do you start uh, hanging out with Johnny Walker and Elijah Craig and, you know, some of these other fellas? Drinking your blues away? Is that what you do? Or do you turn to Jesus True Christians, that's what you do. You're like, I need God. I need God right now. I don't know what to do with this pain. This hurts. I don't, I don't understand it. This is confusing. This is so frustrating. I'm miserable right now. And that, that, that drives you to prayer. You start searching God's word. What makes sense of this thing? And then you run across texts like 1 Peter 1 or James chapter 1 or Romans chapter 8. And you say, oh, oh God is doing something here. God is helping me to tune into my need, my brokenness, my, my sin, my failures, my, the fact that I can't do anything on my own. And he's helping me to see that and to feel that. 
and genuine believers that you're going to run to him. Look at the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is filled with all of these, these expressions of need and weakness. Some of the most beautiful Psalms are ones that, that David is crying out because he's in so much pain. There's some trial that he's going through and he's crying out to God, my rock, my shield, my defender, my fortress, my strong tower. That's who God is to him. And that is, is highlighted whenever we're going through some pain where we need a shield and we need a defender and we need a fortress and we need a rock and we need strength. Trials give you that and it helps you to see I actually can't control my life. I can go through this illusion that I can but it only takes a little bit of pain to remind me I can't control hardly anything. It is God who controls it all. And so God may, may hurt us, allow pain to enter into our lives, not because he's mean, but because he loves us, because he knows our truest need is for us to tap in to his strength, his power, his wisdom, his knowledge, his strength. That's what God wants to give us. And so his, the pain that he allows us to experience oftentimes is the most merciful, loving thing. It is a friend that walks into the room and we greet it gladly. But yeah, it hurts. I mean, I know stories. I mean, I know a number of people in this church sitting in this room right now. There's painful stuff that you're going through. And I don't know if it's turned all the way up to 10 or if it's two or three, but there's pain there. And no matter what, what degree, no matter how hot the heat is, God is doing something in that. And that fire is meant, the fire, the pain, the trial, the, the suffering is meant to help tap you into your need. And that's good. Nothing can show us our weakness and God's generous strength like suffering. It'll burn away your self-confidence. I mean, that's, that's my testimony. <laughs> I'm the kind of guy that's just like, pile on more, I'll take on more because I think I can do anything. Um, and I'm like, that's just stupid. That's stupid. I do this all the time. I'm like, I'm overcommitted. I'm, I'm stretched too thin because I take on too much because I don't know my need enough. And so God will train me by causing it to hurt. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to do that again because it hurts. And in that pain, I'm crying out to God for help. And that's, that's just the way we work, and that's, we need that in our lives. And so even though it hurts, it is a merciful pain. We'll never tap into God's strength until we fully recognize we've got absolutely nothing to offer him. Do you think you've got anything to offer Jesus? Think again. What do you have that he did not first give you? What skills do you have that he did not give you? You know, sometimes you go to a restaurant and your buddy pays the bill, and he's like, well, just I'll get the tip. A lot of times we treat God the way. I know, I know Jesus paid the bill. I mean, Jesus died on the cross. He paid the bill, but I got the tip. No, that's stupid. You got no... The, the, it's kind of like dad giving the kid a dollar and say, leave that on the table. It's like he gives us the thing that we think that we're giving back to him. We have nothing to offer. I love that line in the song. Uh, was it Rock of Ages? Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. That's, that is our, our condition as Christians. 
Let me read you this quote. This is from J.C. Ryle. And he said, We forget that every cross is a message from God and intended to do us good in the end. Trials are intended to make us think, to wean us from the world, to send us to the Bible, to drive us to our knees. Health is a good thing, but sickness, get this, sickness is far better if it drives us to God because anything, anything is better than living in carelessness and dying in sin. Because if you die in sin, then there's a level of suffering that doesn't go away and a level of suffering unlike anything we would ever experience in this life. All right, last one, number five. Trials produce joy. Trials produce joy. Verse eight and nine. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So he's, he's oriented towards the end, right? The outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We talked about this last week, where the salvation has, theologians would call it an eschatological bent, which means it is, it is looking to the end times, to the time when Jesus returns. That is what salvation means in this sense. And it, it also um, goes to the, for the text that we looked at last week, it's, it's oriented towards the end. And also, um, if you can see it here, I have it a little bit grayed out, but at the end of verse 7, um, your faith tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation is he is revealed at his return. So he's talking about the end. And so obviously, this is the heavenly reward that we're anticipating and the joy that we receive now as we anticipate a heavenly future eternal joy. This book of 1 Peter was written in the mid-60s AD, and that was during the height of the reign of Emperor Nero, who is famous for his cruel persecution of Christians, brutal. And so whether or not this was written in the run-up to it or in the middle of it, but Peter is writing to people who are either suffering right then or are are about to suffer intense persecution, intense pain, exhorting them to look past the temporal pain and look ahead to eternal joy from which we derive meaning for the present. For all the suffering endured in this life, Look ahead to the eternal reward. And the heavenly reward that awaits us is so great and so glorious and so beyond comprehension that our anticipation of it can produce an otherworldly joy within us now that defies earthly explanation. We can't can't understand it. It's a supernatural joy that doesn't make sense. I mean, think about people that were being murdered for their faith, that were being tortured for their faith fed to the lions and all other kinds of terrible things that would happen, and yet they did it with joy. What kind of nutso, crazy people would do that? 
Only people that know that this life is not where our joy comes from. Our joy has an eternal, heavenly, divine source. And we're tapping into that now such that even suffering in this present life increases our joy. That's the crazy part. And that's what Peter's talking about here. God uses pain as a factory of joy. He produces joy through suffering if our faith is firmly rooted in Christ. Christians alone can get this. Nobody else is going to get this. It's going to look stupid to anybody else. Christians alone get this because this is the exact same path that our Lord walked. Jesus did the same thing. And I want to show you this. I'm going to read you three texts. First one is Hebrews 12. And I want you to see here how Jesus did the very thing Peter is talking about. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You know what Jesus did? Jesus came to earth and he knew the whole, his whole ministry. He was like, I'm, the son of man is going to be delivered and suffer and be raised again. He knew what he was going to endure. And yet Peter tells us, or, or excuse me, the author of Hebrew tells us here that for the joy set before him, he knew there was joy on the other side of the cross and that's why he was willing to endure it is because he knew there was something greater. On the other side of the, pain, uh, of the pain, there's this being seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's joy. Jesus is now enjoying and delighting in the fruit of, his, of, his, uh, of, of suffering. But he was willing to suffer knowing that the reward was on the other side of it. Here's a second one, 2 Corinthians 4. Now, I want you to get this. If there's some pain that you're, that you're feeling right now, get this. Paul calls our pain right now a light momentary affliction. Does that feel like an insult? Is he minimizing our pain here? Is he making light of the family member that you love that died? Is he making light of a sick child? Is he making light of total burden, stress of paying the bills? and you don't have enough money coming in? Is he making light of that? Of course not. What he's doing is he's, Paul is zooming out, not, not to where he can see three or four years on a timeline, but he's zooming so far back that he's dealing with a timeline that goes from, from now until 15 trillion years from now. And he's like, take, take, take all of the experience of the next 15 trillion years and then look at this tiny little speck of time that we inhabit right now. And he's like, that is light momentary affliction. That's it. There will come a time in eternity 15 trillion years from now. I won't run into Wade or Eric. I'm like, hey man, I was just thinking the other, do you remember that, remember back you know, back on earth, you know, before Jesus came back, there was that thing, uh, what we call it, what we call it? Oh, yeah, pain, that's what it was. Remember pain? It's like, it's like, it's, it's like we suffered. Remember that? Wasn't that crazy? And it's, it's going to be so, 
It's like, we'll laugh about it. It's like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I almost forgot about that. <laughs> It'll be so unfathomable that there will ever come a time when we can look back and be like, oh yeah, that was like a light momentary affliction. I remember that. Boy, I, I remember at the time, you know, I really hated it. But now look at all that we've seen and experienced and all the joy and the delight that we've experienced since then <laughs> and how ridiculously small and insignificant that pain seems now compared to all the things that we've enjoyed. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, what's seen? What you see is like your your temporal pain, the suffering you're going through right now. That's what you see. That's what you experience in this life. But that's not what we're looking at. We're not looking at the stuff right now. We're looking to the things that are unseen, And that's what our faith is based in. Our faith is based in Jesus Christ and him crucified. We don't see him. That's what Peter said. We read that a moment ago. Peter said, though you don't see him now, you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. That's what we rejoice in. We don't see him now, but that doesn't mean that we don't believe in him. That's the faith part. We believe in something we can't see, and what we can't see that we believe in is the source of our eternal joy, and that enables us to not look at our present circumstances and get all worked up about it because we know that there is an eternal weight of glory that can't compare with any pain we've experienced now that is being stored up in heaven for us, that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for us. It's being stored up, and all the pain that you experience now that you faithfully enjoy it's like adding more joy to your account. And once you get to heaven, everybody gets here. I'm experiencing it. I get all this joy that God has been storing up and preparing for me. I'm getting that now. And then we're like, okay, the pain that, I'm, that I experienced way back on earth, I mean, we'll be in a new heavens and a new earth for theology nerds. I do, it's not, we'll be floating on a cloud somewhere. We'll be here. But, but the pain that we experience is so infinitesimally small compared to the joy then. It's hard to believe that. I struggle to believe these things sometimes. To believe them in such a way that it really enables me to delight, to experience joy in the moment. That doesn't make it any less true. It means that my faith needs to strengthen. And it might mean that I need to suffer more in order to strengthen it. And if God does it, hallelujah, it's for my good. And we need to have that attitude as we approach suffering. I got one more scripture. James 1, 2 through 4. They all talk the same way. You see the same words showing up everywhere. James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith has a product. What's the product? So you walk into the store of suffering and you look around and there's some products on the shelf. Well, what are some of the products? Well, The big product here is steadfastness. It's going to anchor you in Christ to make you firm and immovable. But then steadfastness, there's a little bonus that you get. When it has its full effect, you'll be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That means that God is transforming you and refining you and shaping you and and making you more like Jesus. Here's the point, and it's a counterintuitive point, but this is is the, the point here. You can choose to rejoice in your suffering. It seems crazy that we would ever rejoice in our suffering. And what I mean by rejoice, I'm not talking about finding a silver lining. Finding a silver lining, that's, that's the same as secular positive thinking. Oh, I missed out on this job, 
Because God's got an even better job with better hours and better pay. That's, that's why God didn't give me this job. Okay, congratulations on your positive thinking, but that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about your joy coming not from an improvement in temporal circumstances, which it's good to pray for that and seek it. But the joy is not in that hope, because that's temporal. That's what we see. The joy is in something that we don't see, which is our belief that Jesus Christ came and he is fully God and he was a human being who died in our place and he was risen again and he has ascended to the Father and that he is preparing for us eternal joy that will last forever. That's what our hope is in. So the object of our hope is greater than improvement in our circumstances. Though we seek that and desire that and pray for that, that's good. But the ultimate object is he whom we have not seen. And the more our joy is fixed on him, it becomes what First Peter says, a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. I mean, just think of those words. I mean, I said, I said uh, last week, that verses 3 through 12 is one big, long, complicated sentence in Greek. I think, I think he knows how to express himself. But he's saying, and all these things that I'm expressing to you, the joy that awaits you is something I, can't, I don't have words for. It's inexpressible. But it's filled with glory, whatever that means. Imagine taking like a bottle of Coke and you shake it up like a two liter. You shake it up real good. You sit on the counter, then you take the cap off and it just everywhere. That's how your joy is going to be. It's just going to bubble up and shoot out everywhere. It's, inexpre- it's filled with glory. And glory is going to shoot all over your life and all over the countertop. That is, that is what suffering can produce in you. Our inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. And God is guarding our faith and holding it close throughout all of our lives until he brings us home. And even the painful trials that we go through, inevitably, it's it's inevitable. It's necessary. We endure them faithfully. They're just piling up, accruing into our account as eternal rewards and whenever we are with him in glory, that's when we'll get to cash them all in and experience them fully. But we have to train ourselves to think this way. Train ourselves to rejoice even when we don't want to. You just got bad news, rejoice. Your test results came back. Doctor's office called. It's not what you were hoping for. Rejoice. You're hoping for more money, but there's cutbacks. Rejoice. Rejoice in the pain because we know that through the pain that we experience, God is doing something that has eternal value. He's turning every tear into gold. And the more you believe that, the more that truth sinks into your bones. And the more it becomes part of your very being. And the more the eternal joy of heaven, it will invade your soul now. So it's not perfect. It's not like everything that you can, it's not the full expression of it. But there will be a little divine invasion into your heart of eternal joy that will spill out. The more you faithfully endure suffering and you choose to rejoice. It's like a, you're, you're tapping into eternal reserves. And that'll strengthen you in the present and it'll strengthen you for future trials because they will come. 
All right, well, let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you are all wise and merciful and sovereign and you, you allow us to go through trial. You allow us to experience pain because you're a good father and you know what you're doing and may we never doubt your wisdom. And I pray, Lord, that you will help us to believe and cling to the truth that is revealed in your scripture here and that we can, we can choose to rejoice in pain and suffering and trial. Lord, I pray for whoever here is going through a trial in this moment. Lord, help them to choose joy, to know how to do that. Show them how to do that and give them the strength to do that. And may they cry out to you for that strength to do that. And in so doing, Lord, may they grow themselves. And may, they, may their faith be clarified and amplified. And we thank you, Jesus, that you led the way. That you went through an incredible trial. And you suffered for our sake because of joy that you were anticipating. Help us to follow your lead. Strengthen us now, Lord. We need your help. We pray all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We are Christ the King Church. For more information about our church, please visit us at ctkcincy.com.